Welcome to Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, where we break down issues of religion and faith to help gain a better understanding of the sacred and secular. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Church attendance has been a topic of discussion for a long time, but even more so following the COVID-19 pandemic. Since 2020, some churches had to either temporarily close or close indefinitely due to low attendance and staff shortages. Now we're in 2023, and the church landscape looks very different than it did before. With that in mind, in today's episode, we'll be talking about what is church? What does the Bible say about church? Uh, is attending church really important? Where does the concept of church even come from? We pull together questions like these based on online search trends and questions about church average about 12,000 searches per month. Of course, we're here with Dr. Mark Rivera, who is going to guide us through all of these questions and hopefully give you all a better understanding of the history of church and what it means and what church even looks like for us today. So, Dr. Mark Rivera, welcome, and thank you for taking time to discuss this topic. Oh, I'm so happy to be part of this discussion uh, at this time and for this segment. This is certainly an interesting, uh, and even beyond interesting, uh, a subject. It could even be controversial to some, but I find it very necessary to be able to talk a little bit more you know, about this, the subject of church and places of worship and so forth, Particularly in light of um, the pandemic, with, we're, which we're just getting over, what does it actually mean for us? And sometimes when we're inside the, the the building, if you will, or inside the community of church, we don't realize that the outside world has a different view and opinion of what's going on inside. So hopefully today we'll be able to shed some light into those areas and answer some questions. And I'm sure we'll also surface some questions that haven't even been answered before or asked before. So I'm glad to be here today. Great, great. Yeah, so let's just get right into it. I think a, the best place for us to start is by defining church. So what is the meaning and significance of church? Well, that's a, a, an interesting uh, way to begin, and I think a necessary one. Um, if we look at it, really, church from our vantage point of the time that we're living in right now is looked at in two ways. One a church is actually a building, a structure, brick and mortar. It's a you know a facility, or in the world that we're seeing today, a church is really a complex of places for people to gather, and it's be really focused on uh, the building, the physical plant, if you will. Um, that's viewed as a church. But also the other dynamic about the word or concept of church is um, people. It is not so much the building, but it's also about people. So it's about organization in the sense of structure, but also about organism in the sense of a congregation, for example. And the term specifically church actually refers really to Christianity. Because if you if you are of the of other persuasions, you will probably hear the word like mosque or the the word a synagogue or the word shul or even the word temple and tabernacle, words like that, uh, to describe the place where people would gather. But interestingly enough, and I find this as I was you know, looking through some of the information and responding appropriately to in this podcast, 
it is only the church that has a duality of of definition. In other words, church can mean people or it can mean a building. But if you look, right, isn't it? Because yeah. if you look at the other traditions, for example, let's take the tradition of, of Judaism. Mm-hmm. When they talk about synagogue or temple or shul, they're not talking about the congregation that gathers there. They're talking about the physical building. So that's specifically a physical location, not people. Exactly, exactly right. I thought it was fascinating because when you look at the church, the word church, then it really applies more to the Christian world or, trish, or Christian tradition. And it has, as I mentioned a few moments ago, a duality of definition. One is building and the other one is congregation. One is uh, is structure and the other one is the organism. One is organization and one is organism. So you, that doesn't apply to other places of worship. But to be more specific now in the definition, the, the word um, church never really appears in the Old Testament Bible. Uh, there you will find terms like, again, a place for people to gather. So it would be a temple. Or when the people of Israel were navigating through the desert, it's called a tabernacle because the tabernacle was looked at as a temporary place to house uh, the people so that they can worship. It's actually the temporary place to house the artifacts uh, that were religious and the icons. Uh, So they would set them up in the desert, for example, when they were navigating and being nomads through that area. Uh, You would have words like that, but you would never see the word church because yeah, church is really coming from the word ecclesia, which is um, a Greek term, which it, it actually infers to the definition of those that have been called out. That's what the word church in its original form means, mm. those that have been called out. So in the Old Testament, you never had that uh, because um, uh, it was not looked at in the same way that we look at now. We, good or bad, beneficial or not beneficial, we look at the concept of church all the way back through the Old Testament, when in reality we should really start it at the book of Matthew and look at it from the New Testament because that's what it is. It is a building, but it is also a group of people that gather in that building for religious purposes. That's the best way to that I can define it right now uh, for all of us. So we have to have a different concept of it in the New Testament and a different look. The word church actually emerges from the New Testament example, which we'll look at in a few moments. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's actually a very good distinction to make, and I'm glad you did that because that could be part of the reason why this question is asked so many times uh, online too because of that uh, uh, dual definition that you mm-hmm. highlighted specifically uh, when it comes to church uh, and Christianity. Uh, but I guess segueing into um, the next kind of category of questions that we have, which is more about the history of church, I guess trying our best to at least focus on that organization definition. So what would be like some of the first examples historically, biblically, of what, again, the organization of that physical building, that gathering place, again, it wouldn't be called church, I guess, in the Old Testament based on what we've heard so far. But if you could walk us through that history, that would be great. Yeah, part of the way it was looked at, again, in the Old Testament and in the history of the church was a a place of gathering. Mm -hmm. So it would be... um, and you know we can we can tease this out very deeply, but I, I don't I, for the benefit of not only our discussion and the time that we have, but also the audience that is here, because uh, this can be a, a series like the last few you know episodes we've had that yeah. we go very deeply and spend a lot of time. But it really um, stems back from the example of tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, people of Israel were first in bondage, right, in in, uh, in Egypt, and then when they came out, now they the term was. They couldn't worship freely when they were captive, but now they're free navigating through the desert as nomads. 
and then they had a temporary tabernacle. That's the earliest building kind of form or structure form that we would see. From then later on, and of course that's just in Judaism, then you had other traditions that were also developing during that period. So the Muslim tradition had uh, uh, temples that they would, would gather. And if you look at then the eastern side, uh, um, uh, you, you would have uh, Buddhist temples, for example, or something like that. Uh, those are the earliest forms of the examples that we can highlight now for a structure where people would gather for religious purposes. The other thing is that, and another distinction we need to look at is that all religious activity had to take place in those places, Mm. where if you look at the New Testament, there's actually a verse in the New Testament that says where, where, where two or three are gathered in my name, there shall I be. Mm. And it's really referring to actually that, a group of people gathering together wherever and God is there. You would not see that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament and in the other writings of other religious traditions, the temple was the only place to keep the religious icons. The temple had a division between the the most holy places and the congregants that would go in there for the religious experience. That would not typically be, uh, it had to be a building. It wouldn't typically happen in a field. Uh, today, right. I mean, we gather, Christians gather in stadiums, baseball stadiums, you know, sports stadiums yeah. to have quote-unquote church. Schools, auditoriums, schools, things like that. In yeah. the street, right. You would not see that. Historically, as you look at other places of worship, there were definitely yeah. religious buildings. They were definitely they definitely serve a purpose for the gathering of people under that notion of spirituality. Or, as I said, I've, I've defined before, people always want to experience something bigger than themselves, larger than themselves, so they can experience that. But it was in the temple where it would occur. It was in the synagogue where later on it was in the mosque. For example, it was in the tabernacle, never outside. And if we keep looking then at the example, now you see the emergence of the church actually um, uh, defined in, really in the book of Acts. Mm. Uh, the book of Acts is the, the Acts of the Apostles. And we, we see the, there what many, many uh, Christians celebrate, including myself, as the birth of the church, which, which happened in the book of Acts after uh, the Lord had now... Uh, taught his disciples, if you open up the book of Acts in the beginning, for those that want to do the reading, the not yet ascended Jesus, not yet ascended, chapter 1 of the book of Acts, he's now teaching the people about the kingdom of God. And now he's, it's, I, I always thought that's so fascinating because here he is, he's not yet ascended. So mm -hmm. he's in that period, in between period of being man, having died on the cross, right? Buried in the, in, in the tomb, resurrected, but now he resurrects and yet not yet ascends to heaven. He's interacting with the disciples, and I like it because he's taking care of business. Because mm. if you know you're not going to be around a long time, you take care of business. And the business that he was tending to, if you look at the book of, of Acts chapter 1, was about teaching them about the kingdom of God. And I define that as the rule and authority of God over the hearts of people. That's how I define that. Others might define it differently. That's what I define as the kingdom of God from that perspective. So the rule of God over... I just want to repeat that, have you repeat that right. definition one it's more time It's the rule us. and dominion of Jesus over the hearts of people. That's where the kingdom of God mm. is built. That, again, that's my definition. Yeah. Others might have variations of that or have a totally different view, and I, I respect that. But that's how I view it. So Jesus was, why? Because now, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but here, now Jesus, not yet ascended, that's critical to, to remember that, not yet ascended, 
chapter one of the book of Acts, he's interacting with them, giving them instructions, which are very important because he's, he's not going to be with them any longer. So now he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. I define it as the rule and dominion of Jesus over their hearts, which was necessary because now Jesus was going to ascend to heaven and right. sit, according to the writing there, and sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So technically speaking right now, Jesus is not really with the church. Because then he says, I'm going, but I'm not going to leave you alone, so I'm going to send you the paraclete, the the, the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit, who will be with you. So the one guiding the church, nurturing the church, bringing conviction to the church, correcting the church, you know, developing the church here on earth is really the Holy Spirit. Jesus mm-hmm. is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That's a, a little bit technical, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that. Um, and not that there's anything wrong in saying Jesus walks with me and guides me and all of that. That, that, that There's nothing wrong with that. But biblically speaking, to be strict with interpretation, uh, Jesus was now telling them. So the book of Acts is where we see the unfolding and the birth of the church. Because Jesus ascends and then the Holy Spirit comes in and um, and then he takes the church to a level that they hadn't experienced before. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great um, explanation there. The other thing that is coming to mind as I'm listening is also... You know, church um, or the tabernacle, temple, mosque, it also seems like, uh, and you, you know, let me know what you think. The way I'm understanding it is this place where people are gathering to connect to God or whoever they believe in. In our case, we're, 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 we're talking about God. And, and I guess the direct uh, example or his, historical example for Christian churches would be the tabernacle and the temple. Um, so with that in mind, you know, you're, you're, you're explaining how Jesus joined that time period before he, incent, he ascended, uh, that, that distinction of the Holy Spirit being that, that, that tether kind of, that connection That's good, between yeah. the church yes. and, and God. What did that look like, though? Again, just focusing a little bit on the history. Again, we don't want to get into too much detail on this episode, but the first quote-unquote church, the tabernacle, what did that connection between God's people and God how did that look within the context of a of a tabernacle specifically? Well, the tabernacle was a place of gathering, but there was also a separation. Interesting. Look at it this way: in in the old forms, in the old uh, uh, typology that you see with regard to a structure to building temple, tabernacle, synagogue, mosque, shul, it was people intending to connect with God. Hmm. In the example in the New Testament, the veil of the temple was rent, for example, right? was torn because there was a separation. People cannot go into those places. So now we find when the, it isn't symbolically, I believe it actually happened, but now the temple, the curtain gets torn. Now there's access. So look at it this way. Prior to that period, people were striving to connect something bigger than themselves. Yeah. God. God, yes. Now the temple is rent and now God opens the door so he now extends to something not, I want to say it this way, it sounds horrible, but lesser than himself. Mm. So here we hungry humans are seeking after God, something greater than us, and then Jesus, the the temple uh, curtain is rent or torn, and now God himself becomes manifest and reaches out to his creation in order to bring us up, which yeah. is amazing. I, yeah. I, I like that stuff. I think that's a very powerful yeah, point that. to highlight because, uh, again, I mean, I don't think we've said it uh, explicitly, but in, in the middle of the tabernacle, beyond that that veil that you just illustrated for us, that curtain, 
uh, is it was the presence of God on earth, right? Correct. That was literally God's presence, and only a, a, a select group of people were allowed to enter that space. So, what you're describing as far as uh, uh, Jesus's sacrifice, how that uh, at the moment of his death there was that 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 tearing of the veil top down in the in the temple, right. is super significant because of exactly the point, the powerful point you just made that now God is like. Okay, you don't need to be special in in the sense of like following right. this criteria. Right. I'm available now, everybody. Beca- because the, the the it's important to note, and again, we can go off tangents. And I'm going to try not to, but but <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the only one, even the high priest, before he went into the holy place, right, the, uh, behind the curtain, he had to go through a process of purification. Mm. In fact, so much so that if he went in there and he wasn't purified, and there was actual ritual that we find in scripture in the Old Testament. If he didn't go through the ritual of, of purification to go and 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 uh, and serve on the other side of the of the curtain, and there was some sin or something unresolved in his mm. life, he could be slaughtered to the d- degree that the priests had to wear bells on their ankles mm. with a rope tied to it. So if they heard the bell stopping from ringing, they knew that the the high priest wow. just got killed, so they got to pull the the the, the, the rope and yeah, because because nobody can go get them, right? They'll no, might, they no might one die too. Exactly, <laughs> wow. exactly. But listen to this now, because this is powerful. This is wonderful. So now, uh, now the ten, the ten, the veil is rent, right? And now all of a sudden it opens up, and now everyone has access. Mm. Why? Because Jesus did the permanent purification on the cross of Calvary. And again, that's my tradition speaking right now. That's my Christian walk. That's my that's yeah. my evangelical side. Of course. Right? Now Jesus becomes the sacrifice. There's no need for that. You just need to come as you are. There's a song that's, that goes that way when we do altar calls. And our, and our friends need to, our audience needs to be able to grasp that for a moment. Because oftentimes we say, I have to get myself together. I have to get my act together. I have to fix myself before I come in. No, the Lord says come just as you are because the veil is no longer there. There's no purification process necessary for you. It's only about faith. It's only about believing that mm. Jesus carried all of that. So now I have access. And sometimes we over make it over-religious. We really do, <laughs> uh, which I understand, but it isn't really that complicated. So the veil is rent. Now Jesus paid the price. We now have access. But now the problem becomes, and this is where the birth of the church kicks in again, Yeah. That Jesus, once he's teaching in chapter one, the kingdom of God, they watch him ascend to heaven. And then he says, don't wait here any longer, you know, go and receive the promise. Because mm-hmm. Jesus said, along, I'm going, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And I'm going to send a comforter that will be with you and in you. And so now the Holy Spirit becomes the fuel. So, so let's look at it this way. The, the people, this is how the church was born in, in the book of Acts. Jesus does all of that that I mentioned. Now they go, those early disciples in the first century, go and they go to prayer. Mm. So, so here I'm going to just talk for a few moments. Uh, just grant me some patience here, those that are listening. Of what I view are the pillars of Christian Christian living and Christian the Christian church specifically to fulfill these areas because I see it in the first century church. And it's easy to remember, it all starts with P's, so the letter P. So they went praying in the upper room and praying in intercession. And mind you that they were filled with fear because they saw Jesus, their leader killed. Mm. So what's going to happen to me? Right. And it says a persecution lifted up and they were scattered. So they were filled with not just fear, but paralyzing fear that doesn't let you move forward, but they were praying. Mm. And that's the spiritual discipline that they had. And the spiritual discipline that needs to exist today in the church, we get sometimes lost in a lot of 
uh, dramatic programming, which I'm not against or anything like that. I think it has its place, but that can never replace the importance of the spiritual disciplines that we have to exercise, you know, and even other things to attract people to come on in. No, I think the the Holy Spirit and God doesn't need any help to have people be attracted to him. He's attractive just as he is. So they were a praying group of believers, of disciples. The second thing is, the other P is that they were filled with power. Again, back to chapter 2 now of the book of Acts. It says that they went, they're praying in the upper room, and all of a sudden something miraculous happens that hadn't happened before. The room was filled uh, with a presence that they couldn't understand. And I won't go into too much detail on this other than you can read it on your own and we can maybe make this a, something in the future to discuss. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Right. And it says in the text, actually, that they began to speak other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, some people get caught up on that part here. I don't get caught up on it because I see that as power or fuel for the church. And I'm not minimizing the role of the Holy Spirit. He's the third. He's, a, he's part of the Trinity, the Trinitarian God that we, we, we know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the third person. Uh, but it was power that they did not have, which is interesting. They didn't have, have available to them while Christ was still on earth. He died, he was buried, he, ascend, he resurrected, was ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come in. The Holy Spirit now comes, becomes that fuel, that power that was needed. Because if you continue reading in the book of Acts, the miracles there are... I mean, it, well, miracles are unbelievable anyway. That's what a miracle is. A miracle right. <laughs> is something that the, the mind cannot comprehend, but reality cannot deny. I mean, that's that's the, the simplest definition that I've come up with. And so now the miracles become almost commonplace. Why? Because the fuel of the Holy Spirit, that power came upon them. But it didn't just end there. And some people end it there. And I don't want to end it there because there's there's more in that second chapter. So there was prayer. There was power, and then it says that Peter got up and started preaching. Now, the third P is not Peter. The third P is proclamation, preaching or teaching. And I don't know, but in my read of the of the Bible and Peter's life, I never saw Peter preaching. I never read about Peter preaching. I read that he, you know, he was short-tempered and tried to chop somebody's head off, but missed and got their ear. I, I I read that he he denied Jesus. I read that. I read that Peter was a bit temperamental, you know, and had a an incendiary kind of temperament and, and and attitude sometimes. But all of a sudden, now that Peter, that messed up, broken Peter, that denying Peter, that uh, uh, disloyal Peter, all of a sudden, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, becomes a proclaimer. And if any any preachers that are out there of any tradition. If you want to know about how, how to, and even, even people that, that are not even of, of the cloth, if you want to public speak, you need to break down that, that presentation, that speech that Peter gives in mm. chapter 2, has all the elements necessary for effective communications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he becomes this proclaimer par excellence. Any of the preachers listening right now, you would love on your very first sermon to have thousands of people respond to the sermon. I'm going to go back to me to tell you the following. I am so glad. I've been pastoring for a while, but I am so glad that my early messages are not recorded and nowhere to be found. <laughs> we didn't have YouTube back then. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Because I don't know. I would, I would have to deny all the things that I said and I concluded that were absolutely wrong. You know, but here Peter right out of the gate, his first, his message, first message, thousands. Yeah. My goodness. Mm. You know, and then his second message is even greater if you continue reading on. 
So pillar, let me go back to pillars of the, of the church. Yeah. So prayer, mm-hmm. it was power, Holy Spirit. It was proclamation, which is the, the task of preaching and also teaching. But then the fourth one is another one that people get uh, trip, that trip on. And that is not only prayer, power, proclamation, but people. The role of the church, because it is not about buildings and structures, it is about humanity. And I believe that some would miss it. This is where the role of the church as an agent of social justice kicks in. If you look at the last part of the second chapter of the book of Acts, we're still in the second chapter, around verse 42, it says that the church provided for anyone that was in need. Hmm. The church uh, uh, responded to the needs of the disenfranchised, the widows, the orphans, the poor. In fact, if you continue reading through the book of Acts, one of the discussions that happens in there is that in the book of Acts is, is that the, the, they, they weren't feeding appropriately uh, and without bias the, the women that were in need, hmm. the older women that were in need. And that had to be, uh, that had to be addressed. It shows up that social justice, that means that we treat the church as an agent. The church has to become an agent of change, and each congregant needs to be uh, an agent of change. What are we doing for the least of these? Yeah. And in my view, that's a point that cannot even be argued. I mean, I've been to places where they're arguing whether social justice is actually biblical or not. I don't understand that argument because for me it's clear. Mm. And by the way, I also want to state here, because, and this is where I want to circle back, and then I'll turn it over to you, Matthew, for the response or any other direction you want to go to. But I want to respond right here because it was prayer, power, power. proclamation, and people. Those are the four key silos, those core, four core elements, the, the, the significant pillars of the early church that need to be replicated today, right? Oftentimes, people think that if they have one or two of those, it's fine. No, it's all four. But we have to redefine what it means to be infilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Particularly if you go to the, um, to the place, which I'm not criticizing, I'm simply making an observation here of the speaking in tongues. So if you're speaking in tongues and don't have a social presence, my question has to be, are you really filled with the Holy Spirit? Because hmm. speaking in tongues doesn't feed people. It actually edifies itself, according to Paul, the Pauline teachings of the church in Corinth, right? The Corinthians. So it, 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 it helps you, empowers you but also makes you an agent of change. And oftentimes we get that wrong. And I believe that a church that is fully functioning with the fuel of the power of the Holy Spirit is a church that not only prays and proclaims and teaches, but also reaches the needs of people. Response to the migrant situation that we're having right now, Mm. to those horrible earthquakes that are affecting people now in Iraq, right? And we say, no, well, no, we need to help them. They're humans just like you and I, people that that are in need. The homeless situation here in, in New York City, for example, what are we doing with that? Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying we New Yorkers, we the church, what is the response that we have? And I believe that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to be able to look beyond the social status of people, look beyond the color of people, look beyond the the the, the academic achievements of people and all of that and see that at the core they have the image of God and they need to be that that has to be responded to. And I think the church has to become that agent of change, not as not only as an organization, an organism rather, but also as individual people. We need to become agents of change. 
Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, modeling that first early church in the book of Acts, like you said, and for anyone listening, if you want to, if you're interested in learning more about the history of church, um, if you can't figure it out by now, I'll say it explicitly, read the book of Acts, read the book of Acts. And, and based on that model, um, I love that those four pillars, prayer, power, proclamation, people, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I almost, uh, uh, feel like I shouldn't even have to say it, but the reality is is that it, that last one can be a bit of a touchy subject. All people, all people, regardless of race, regardless of their religious background, their economic status, their education, um, all of that. I mean, that's, 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 an, that's an important distinction, I think. I think, and in that distinction, we need to be compelled as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'm making these statements because that's my context. That's where I, that's what makes me, that was, that's what informs me. But I'm trying to be ultimately respectful to everyone's tradition of the audience that is listening course, right now. Course. You know, I don't want to offend, but it, we have to be able to respond, and and we got to get we have to get away from the judging of people because of color of the or the way they look or whatever. And particularly in the time that we're on now, right now, the big debates about abortion, non-abortion, really in in being uh, in following that pillar of serving people, the question of abortion or non-abortion should not even be a question. If it's a human being that needs, we need to serve. Mm. If you look at people, whether they're gay or not gay, or what's their, their sexual orientation, that's a question we shouldn't really be asking. Mm. Is that person made in the image of God? Yeah. Are they a person? Are they, are they, exactly. <laughs> right. you know, yeah. and, and I know it's overplayed, but what would Jesus do? I think Jesus, you know, with the Samaritan woman, she was a social outcast, but mm. he went after her. And so we need to get, now people say, yeah, but I'm doing that. Am I agreeing with them? And I don't know how you answer that question, yeah. but for me... That's another episode. <laughs> yeah, because for me in helping someone, that's not that I agree with, with them. I'm loving on them, mm -hmm. you know, whether they made decisions that are contrary to what you feel a person should be. Um, that's your problem. Mm. That's not their problem. They have a need and we have to respond to that. I mean, that's what I, it sounds oversimplistic, but I, that's the way I've practiced it all my life or tried to. Uh, but it has to be present in the church. We cannot shy away from those important subjects that are happening right now uh, and respond to the public discourse from a biblical perspective. And I, what you just said a few moments is so true. We find, and I find in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, the raw elements that we need to truly be the church. The church was born in the book of Acts. And by the way, it is believed that the book of Acts was, is not completely written yet. Because there's still acts of the apostles occurring today, and we need to we need to align to that. Are we living up to that model that we had? Mm -hmm. And and the other thing I'll mention, and I'll turn it back up to you, um, is that this model actually it, it it applies to every area of our life and your profession as well. Mm. You know what 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 uh, what is the spiritual element of what you bring to the table in, in the corporate world? What is the, the the spiritual example that you bring? You know. What what power are you demonstrating? And power can be named as gifting abilities. You know, mm. what what are you bringing to the table? And what are you proclaiming through your words and through your actions as well? Is it someone that f is a follower of the Lord, or someone that is just a, a follower on Sundays at eleven o'clock, and then the rest of the week no? And then how are you treating fellow human beings? Are you treating them with dignity? Are you honoring their humanity? Or are you being selective? If they're the right uh, from the right tradition, then I'll embrace them. If not, then I will not. I don't think that's the example of the church. And by the way, I think that's what causes some of our audience to to trip up, 
that what they're expecting in the church, and I'm not talking about building now, I'm talking about people, it doesn't measure up to their expectations. Now, there needs to be adjustment on both sides, obviously, obviously, but that sometimes becomes the dilemma. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, before we conclude, we have one more area we wanted to address when it comes to church and bringing it more to just the current cultural climate that we're in post-pandemic. Things are finally starting to get back to normal. Uh, uh, church attendance is starting to bounce back, at least in in, in your church. Uh, and I'm sure in a lot of other churches, they're experiencing that. And maybe some churches aren't. But church attendance, I mean, even before the pandemic, there you know, there was always a fringe group of Christians that just really just like, I never go to church. My home is my church, you right. know, things like that. Right. Um, so I, I kind of want to see if we could uh, uh, kill two birds with one stone about just church attendance nowadays. Uh, what does that look like? Is there anything explicitly written maybe in the New Testament about having to go to church? Maybe even, I don't know if we want to go there just yet for the sake of time, but even going on Sunday specifically, why yeah. weekly? Can it be monthly? Can it be once a year? You know, right. just... What does church attendance look like nowadays? Yeah, studies show, and, and there's many studies coming out that, um, in fact, you quoted some of it in the beginning at the top end of our, our podcast today, um, that you can expect to see 25 to 30% less people coming in post-pandemic, that you're just going to stay on streaming and that kind of interaction. The, the truth is, I've not seen that here in our place. I've seen not just people returning, but newer people also coming in. Because there's only so much you can do online. And I'm talking from the receiving end. I'm not talking from the broadcasting end. There's mm -hmm. more that churches can do. And, and I believe that streaming and using technology is one of the new ways that every church has to embrace if they want to really be a church or a place of outreach. But he, he, here's an interesting a thing to consider. Um, human beings were created to be social. We need not just contact, we need connection. And, and you know how it's real easy to prove this. The way to prove that is that even in the pandemic, and even as the pandemic was, was waning, you know, was now being something of the past and more manageable, restaurants were full. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Theaters, people can here in New York, they couldn't wait till the theater district opened up so they can go back to Broadway and, and they were full. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, the, the travel industry, full. Uh, uh, stadiums, full. So, uh, because human beings have, have an intrinsic draw or attraction toward community. We, we, and with, with few exceptions, there are people that like to be hermits and, you know, be on their own. But generally speaking, the human spirit, the human core of an individual is wired to be able to be in connection and in relationship with someone else. So I, I, I think that I don't agree with the studies that have come out because I'm not seeing that, not just in our church, but in other churches. But also as I look at humanity in, in itself, uh, people are striving to connect. So if it wasn't because of the pandemic, I have to ask the question of ourselves and others, then why weren't they coming? Well, maybe it's, and I, and I really believe this, I think God actually allowed certain things to be dismantled in the church because we were doing things that we thought were church mm. in the sense of spirituality, but in reality, God was scratching his head saying, what are you doing down there on Sundays from 11 o'clock to 12? Mm. And so everything was dismantled, and I, 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 I went through this myself, and I'm going through it, and I, I, and I challenge my fellow clergy persons out there 
to re-examine what it is that you, you, you have been doing and what you really have to bring back to normal, if you will. Because people intrinsically want to come back. They want to come back to a place, and this is the definition, why do people go to church? People go to church because they want to experience something greater than themselves. So perhaps they've been staying away, not because of the mask mandate, mm. <laughs> but rather because they were not experiencing anything but static from the speakers of the bad microphones that we've been using. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. I don't know, I don't know, right? Or the uncomfortable... They're missing, they're missing one of those four pillars, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. even people that were handing out donuts and all that stuff, they didn't see any growth. So right. maybe that, I mean, nice idea. Yeah. I'm not crit- nothing I'm, wrong with gimmicks. <laughs> no, 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 no nothing, nothing wrong with that. But nothing replaces the presence and glory of the Lord in a place. Mm. And the yeah. one, because I, I, and again, my read, and for those that are not in my tradition, a, a, a small apology here, but I believe what the scripture says, that God inhabits the praises of his people. So if, if we're truly worshiping and praising him, he, he will tabernacle himself in the place. Mm. And then he will handle everything else. His presence, his glory will bring transformation to the hearts of people. So although st- uh, studies are saying this and that, I think when God created us, he wired us to be people of community and gathering together. And as I just mentioned a few moments ago, during the pandemic, people were still anxious to go out to dinner, you know, go out traveling, go to the theater and all that. But why church? And I think the problem is not that the people, I think it's perhaps the way we were packaging or perhaps conducting or our liturgy needed to be reexamined because, you know, many, many places, we're not the only ones, are, are not experiencing the absence that, uh, you know that that uh, that has been you know announced through surveys. That isn't so. So I think the the human being, the human spirit, is made to connect. It's made to be with someone else. I mean, look at even in our more um, uh, moments of most pain when we lose a loved one, we need to gather and we do gather to be able to find some sense of peace and comfort through the grief that we go through. So what happened to church? Is church the exception? to the human experience. And I'm, I'm going to submit that, you know, we need to look at that and, and, and be very, be, be very um, uh, actually critical in what we have been doing all along and why people haven't been coming in uh, to church. If you're delivering excellence, if you're honoring God in our church, what we do is, you know, there's two main thrusts that we have. One is to make sure that everything we do honors God and that everything that we do blesses people. It's that simple. And if we use excellence in applying that, I think that that in itself will will help people to feel calmer and not get into this thing of criticizing those that are not coming in. Some people, because of sickness or whatever, will not come in. Or even with fear, they'd rather watch online. That's fine. I mean, as long as they're watching, it's fine. But I think back again, I know I'm repeating the same point again because I think it's that important. Mm -hmm. The human spirit was created to be social. We are created to be social beings, not isolated we need, uh, and we need to use our, and we use our senses to make that connection. So we need to see, we need to feel, we need to hear, we need to smell, we need to touch, um, and that's what's so vitally important in the time that we're we're in right now. So not attending church, uh, you you have the potential of uh, kind of missing out on all those experiences. It, it sounds like, uh, uh, from your point of view, the virtual experience uh, is a key part, especially nowadays, for churches to incorporate. But it shouldn't be the way people connect to your church they should still try to 
be there in person. There's, it's just a different experience in person. Or yeah. you're missing out on the full experience if you're not there in person. Exactly. You can't you can't have a, res- a restaurant meal online. You just can't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to, it might look good, but <laughs> exactly you can't. You know you can't catch a baseball online. You have to be there at the stadium. The same thing is there's something about our spirituality that needs that connection, that plug into that connection. And I think that, and I believe that many, many places of worship are making the adjustments necessary to make that happen. And I'm, I'm you know, the, the other thing now, and we won't discuss this now, and I'm probably, maybe I shouldn't even mention it because it's going to open up a whole Pandora's box of what, <laughs> well, maybe we should do that right away. But if you look at the metaverse, right? Mm. And that's the thing that's taken over Right now, it's it's a it's billion or trillion dollar. I don't even know what the dollar amount is right now, but um, I don't know if that's going to be a venue for. We'll talk about it some other time, but yeah. a venue for the church because Metaverse. that's yeah, it's all digital. You know, I don't want to go to a church and see the 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 hologram of a pastor or a singer. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah, I don't want that. I want something live. But maybe it's me speaking from my generational point of view. I don't know. So. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that 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 might have to definitely be another podcast. And whoever's listening, if you guys are interested in that, please let us know. Um, as always, we always remind you guys check out uh, Dr. Mark Rivera's website at drmarkrivera.com. and that is Mark with a C, not a K. <laughs> uh, one other question I did want to ask before we officially end, um, only because it popped up so many times um, when I was doing the, the the research on what people were searching online. A lot of people were asking just variations of like, is it, do, am I required? Does the Bible require me to attend a church? Um, basically, do I go to heaven or hell if I go to church or don't go to church? And I know that's like a very black and white way to look at it. Um, but again, I just wanted to throw it out there as a last question, only because it popped up so many times. Um, yeah. and, and it is something people, something people are genuinely curious about. I think to come to a relationship with the Lord, no, you don't need to. A church can be a vehicle to that. I think to grow in your discipleship and mm. to grow in your interactions as a father, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, and family relations, and and to develop and to evolve. I don't even use the word uh, uh, um, evolve. Uh, evolve is what I use now, not so much a <laughs> development, but evolving. Um, you need to have that interactions with with other individuals. So, uh, I think, in my opinion, and again, this is me being very my opinion. You know, you don't have to share it. Uh, you don't have to be with me on this page. Yeah, I think you need to come to church. I think church is that important because also the people that say, well, I can do church at home. Really? Talk to me <laughs> about the last time you had church at home. You know, you know, If church are people, yeah, okay, I, I just defined it so you could throw it back you at me. Did say, say that. I you did, did say, say that. I did say that, Dr. Mark. I, yeah, I did. That's fine. But when we're talking about the function of church and developing in areas of social justice, prayer, spiritual mm. disciplines, and proclamation, all of that I'm talking about, which yeah. are the pillars of the church, that really can't happen from home. But but let me not be judgmental. If you find that that is sufficient for you to stay connected with God just through by never visiting a place, I'm not going to judge that. I'm not going to judge that. If it's working for you, I suspect based on my experience and based on my, you know, my time around the block as I, as I often use, you need to get into a place of worship. Mm-hmm. You need to get to into a place because again, we're wired for community. We are wired for community. We are wired for community. So, um, and also don't use that as an excuse for not going. If you decide you're not going to go, you know, and it's working for you, I'm not going to judge that, you know. Uh, if you were asking me one-on-one, face-to-face in, a, in an in-person conversation, I would tell you, look, get yourself to church. 
you know, don't just wait for Easter and Christmas to show up. You know? <laughs> Make it a part of your planning to to show up because yeah. something happens there. Mm. Some people often talk about our church here in Lower Manhattan, and they use the phrase "God hangs out here." Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, there's something about. It's like you know, I'm not a sports person, right? I've said that before. And if I haven't, you're learning it for the first time. <laughs> but I do go to games, you know, and stuff, and there's some electricity in the air that yeah. draws this non-sports person into what is going on there. All of a sudden, you're a fan. <laughs> a sudden, and I don't even know if I'm a fan of who, but I, I start standing up when they stand up and cheer mm-hmm. when I when they cheer. Something happens in the building. Something happens when the or- organism of the church goes into the organization of a building for the purpose of worshiping God. Mm. And when you do that, God then tabernacles himself in that place in a way that I can't explain it in words. I just can't. You have to just experience. So church is the place to be. I like that. I think that's a good place for us to conclude. Any other final thoughts, though, before we officially conclude this episode? No, no. This was this was fantastic. I hope that I cleared up some confusion and I created some in, in, the, in the minds and hearts of our people because that would not be the purpose that I'm sharing. It's on the contrary, to enlighten and to hold you by the hand and guide you to good places. But God bless everyone hearing us right now. I just thank you for putting up with us for this um, in this episode. God bless you richly. Yes, thank you everyone for joining us. We all hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you for listening. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Go to drmarkrivera.com and please subscribe. 